So if you have your Bibles open, we're looking at um, 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to look at those uh, verses that were read 1 to 7. Um, And we're going to do so um, under the title, if you write notes, of Your Way or the Lord's Way. Now, what happens when things don't go your way? What do you do? What happens when church seems to be a difficult place? What happens when you feel like no one is listening? What happens when? And you can add a hundred different other questions that you could put into that kind of category. And those, uh, those sorts of things, they swim around in the heads of Christians all the while, don't they? Um, there are hundreds of questions like that. Always, when we have those kinds of questions, we should go to God's word and look for the answers and some of those questions will be dealt with directly in the bible um, and others of those questions will be answered by hints and principles that we might gain from god's word the problem is though that we often don't go to the bible for those answers we listen to what the world teaches us instead we listen to the pressure that is put upon us by the world all around us We listen to what that inner voice within us tells us that we should do. Or we listen to the whispers of the devil. We should come to God, we should seek answers in his word. But all too often, while we're under attack from those around and about us, the world, the flesh and the devil pretty much play the same kind of drum. If it's not going your way, assert yourself. Is what we're told, isn't it? If it is difficult, well, you either have to be a bull in the china shop and fight back, or you walk away. And I'm afraid walking away tends to be the route that many go today. If no one is listening, make them listen. That is uh, where the world would take us in all of these things. Well, as we come to this last chapter in Peter's first letter, we come to some teaching... Uh, from one who knows and has done what the enemy said that he should do. Jesus' words to Peter, I don't know whether you remember this, but Jesus' words to Peter, uh, when he had done or begun to think like the devil thinks, were very blunt and cutting. He suggested that Jesus should not go to the cross. He suggested that actually there was a better way that Jesus could take another route. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16 and verses 23 to 24, he turned to Peter and he said, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. That rebuke stung Peter. He didn't quite know what to do with that when Jesus uh, threw that at him. Uh, And then you add to that his denial of the Lord at his crucifixion and then his subsequent restoration after Jesus' resurrection. And you have a man who has journeyed with Christ... (coughs) and who can speak to us with understanding. 
He is one who has fallen like we have fallen. He is one who has been in the difficult and dark places and knows what that is like. And yet he is one who has walked with the Lord Jesus Christ as well. So we ought to take seriously, didn't we, what he has to say to us? Because he speaks as one who knows. And I want us to just go through uh, this passage. And I've got three main headings, but... um, I like to have balanced headings. I like to have um, three equal points. It's going to feel this evening, uh, and if you're thinking you're going to get three equal points, it's going to feel a little bit um, like you're in for a long evening. Uh, My first point is very long, and my subsequent two points afterwards are a little bit shorter. So it's not quite as balanced as I like, um, but I'm hoping that you'll stick with me through the first, and then the last two will seem to go by very quickly. Okay? So I want to speak to you about the privilege and challenge of leadership in verses 1 to 4. It's those very issues in Peter's life that enable him to speak to us as one who knows the ways of God and knows the ways that he works. Now we all have ideas, don't we, about the way that we think things should work. Every one of us has got that kind of idea as to, you know, if I went to a church, this is how I would want it to be. But it's wise to listen to one who knows how God works and who has first-hand experience. And that's what Peter does. He appeals to all the church elders uh, that were a part of God's family. And he appeals by writing a letter that goes out far and wide uh, about to, to the church that is beginning to stretch around the world at that point. And he says, please listen to me. He exhorts the elders to take on board what he has to say. And he gives a few reasons as to why they should listen. He says, listen because I am uh, one of you. Peter was one who was saved by grace. Uh, He was a headstrong man who wanted to do his own things. He he wanted to live in his own ways. And God had to do a work of grace in his life. He had to bring him to an end of himself and the end of his desires until he saw that Jesus was king and was willing to submit to Jesus as king. Jesus had gone to the cross to die in his place, and he saw that very brutally lived out in front of him, in order that his sins might be forgiven. He had received mercy. He had also been given by God a place of leadership, Not based on his performance, because that's the temptation, isn't it? We appoint people for leadership positions because of their performance. We should appoint them because of their character. But we often appoint them because of their performance. But he recognised that he wasn't put there by his performance, but because God had graciously raised him up. He had allowed him in his grace to be in that position. So he he says, listen, because I am one of you. But he also says, listen, because I have first-hand information to give. Now, Peter had been through the trials that I've already listed, but more than that, he had seen what Christ himself went through. So he had been there right when everything that Jesus has done, the things that we celebrate, he had seen it all and experienced it all. He had seen, most particularly, how Jesus dealt with suffering. If we want to know how we should live as God's people, 
it is wise, isn't it, to look at those who go through suffering and difficulty and see how they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and Peter does that. So in his later life, uh, he has his own life taken from him. We're told uh, in, in Scripture that that's exactly what will happen. And so he had looked at the Lord Jesus Christ and he had seen what he did and he applied those lessons to his own life. Listen because I have first-hand information to give. Listen because he was to share in the glory that Christ had won for him. Now Peter was acutely aware that all his Christian life was God's gift in Christ. It's one of the reasons why I was... And I get carried away, so I'm sorry. But um, one of the reasons I was saying what I was saying earlier is that we need to understand that every part of our Christian life is a gift from God. Even the advances, if you like, in our walk with God come as a gift from him. He is the one who gives us everything. And we should rejoice in what he is doing in our lives. Peter was acutely aware that all of his Christian life was a gift in Christ and he had not earned anything it was an all a gift from God he was not holding high his credentials saying I've made it he was aware that all his journey was including his final destination a gift from God almighty so Peter's not standing up and he's not he's not, he's not saying to you this evening well you listen to me because I've got it all right you listen to me because I have earned my stripes. He's saying, listen to me. Because Christ is at work in me. And Christ is doing all in my life. So what does Peter want us to listen to? Well, he wants us to understand that a, uh, what a church leader, what an elder should be like. An elder is one who is in a senior position uh, within the church. And he gives us five things that an elder should be. And the first is he should be a shepherd. Now, a shepherd, we know, is one who looks after sheep, don't we? I mean, we've all, I think we can all roughly um, understand that that's what a shepherd does. He makes sure the sheep are, are fed and watered. Uh, back going, we've gone nearly 20 years ago, I used to be on the farm and I used to work, and one of my roles on the farm was to go around and to make sure that all the sheep that were in the field yesterday were still in the field uh, on the day that I went round. And you went round to make sure that they were all there and that they all had plenty of food and plenty of water. And so one of God's shepherds should make sure that all of God's people are taught from his word, the Bible, because that is our drink and our food. Uh, that is how we grow and how we keep going as Christians. And a shepherd is to make sure that they are well. So another job as I went round those fields was to make sure and to check and to see if there were any sheep that were lame um, and if I could catch them and deal with whatever it was that they were ailing with. And sometimes it was, a business, it was the business of diagnosing what the issue was because it wasn't immediately obvious and then treating the ailments. So a good shepherd of God's people will be looking out for those who are struggling and seeking to come alongside them and help them. Help them to understand maybe their own issue in the light of God's word and to tell them how they can look to Christ in the midst of it. A good shepherd makes sure that the weak are carried. 
In other words, if there is a sheep that is lame and you can't get them to where they need to be, uh, then you need to pick them up and carry them. You need to support them in that way. And so a good shepherd within God's people will support those that are in need. He'll also make sure that they're protected. Um, I won't tell you some of the images that I saw of uh, sheep that had been mauled by animals. Not a particularly pleasant image to give you, but it's a reality. Even in, in this country, there are other animals that would destroy the flock. And so when we, if you have a good shepherd, then they will be one that protects the flock. They will recognize people who come into the congregation who have an agenda who are seeking simply to get their own way and not to follow Christ. And so they will do work of protecting and warning of the dangers that are out in the world today. He makes sure that the sheep are led. In other words, the good shepherd, he, he leads them from, uh, as it were, um, one place to another in the prescribed areas that God has set out. You know, so in the life of a church, you should be moving on. Uh, and if you stagnate, there are problems because you don't, um, you're not being fed in quite the way that you should be. And so a good shepherd recognises that and alters things so that you grow and so that they, you are following. Now, shepherds are only shepherds if sheep follow them. It might sound um, a strange thing to say, but it is the reality. Uh, there are plenty of people who like to think they're shepherds and they come into our churches and they seek to lead and... They do it, but what you discover is no one is following. And actually what they cause is a mess. So we need to be very careful of that. And we also should be aware that shepherds should follow in the pattern of Christ. There is actually only one good shepherd, isn't there? And so even as you look to a pastor, the reality is you are looking to an under-shepherd and actually the true shepherd, the one who really does the looking out for and the caring for and the feeding of his sheep is Christ alone. But you want someone who is modelling their life on Christ and seeking to do what he's called him to do. Jesus reminds us of that, doesn't he, in John 10 and verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I have to ask myself the question, would I take a bullet for my congregation? I don't know whether I would be able to. I will be honest. I'd like to think I would. But is that the reality? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ put his life in the way of the harm that the devil would do in your life. He died for you. And that's not a speculation as to whether he would. He did it. That work is done. And so we look to him as that good shepherd. But also he should be an overseer. So the one who is a shepherd of God's people should also be an overseer. Uh, similar thoughts to the shepherd in terms of care, but having the understanding that the buck stops with them. You know, it's one of the most difficult things as a pastor is you realise that, quite frankly, when things go, on, go wrong in the church, it largely falls on your shoulders. You may not have instigated it, but actually, sorry, it doesn't matter. The buck stops with you. It's a place of responsibility for which those that are called to lead will have to answer. Scariest verse in the Bible as far as I'm concerned is Hebrews 13 and verse 17. 
It's a scary one, but it's also a good one. We'll come back to that in a minute. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. One day I've got to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give account for how I have led my church. It's not my church, I shouldn't say that, but you know what I mean. But you need to understand, because that verse carries on, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. You see, the role of an overseer is as difficult as the people that you oversee. And so we need to remember that. Overseers, but they should be willing. It's one of the sad truths that there are many pastors who drop out of ministry because the task of leading God's people is often a thankless and a difficult task. So according to the American Biblical Leadership magazine, 70% of pastors drop out of ministry in the first 10 years. And in the survey that they carried out of American pastors, so the 30% that stayed in, 43% of them still serving in ministry were considering leaving. It's not an easy task leading God's people. The five main reasons given for wanting to leave were financial stress, time pressure, a sense of failure, a lack of others willing to lead, and actually I think the biggest one, loneliness. Paul tells us that it's a pressure to lead God's people. He tells us that as he lists a whole host of things that he is going through that are really difficult. And then he adds on at the end in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 28. He says, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. As Paul has had a hat privilege of, of uh, setting up multiple churches, as he looks back and he looks at those churches, he is still concerned, he is still burdened for all of those churches, and it's no small burden to carry. Moses knew how difficult it could be to lead God's people, didn't he? Do you remember as they come out into um, the wilderness, out of Egypt? And the tendency, of course, is when you've been led out of something is to look back and think it was better than it was. Um, but they constantly came to him, and in Exodus 17 and verse 4, uh, Moses cries out to the Lord, he says... Uh, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And so he felt as though his back was against the wall. Uh, and then uh, a little bit uh, later in Numbers 11, uh, and I actually think this is, uh, well, it's, it's sadly funny, but it's not. They've come and they've asked Moses for meat. And this is how he responds. Where can I get meat from all of the, for all of these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. I don't know whether you've ever known a pastor that's felt like that. But it can be a daunting task to lead God's people. That's why there is no room in eldership for those who are only doing it because they must. If that's the reason you're an elder, please step down. I don't know any of your situations or circumstances. Because if you are a pressed man, then you will do what pressed men do. 
you will resent the role. And you will uh, resent the people, and then you will eventually resent the Lord. So do it willingly. And pray that you get a willing pastor. One who delights to follow the Lord and to lead, lead his people. You need to understand that God loves a cheerful giver and that applies to serving too. Uh, we all know what it's like if you're involved in any kind of ministry in the church. The reality is that weight of that ministry weighs upon you after a time. And if we're not careful, we get to the point of saying, actually, I can't carry this anymore. And we have to be those that give cheerfully. Or, or Romans 12 and verse 11 tells us, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour serving the Lord. So if you are feeling like that at this moment in time, come to Christ. Get back that spiritual fervour that you are losing. Make sure that you daily are rejoicing in Christ, because it's the only way you'll ever keep going. He is to be one who has good motives. Now, it's always good to ask why someone wants to be a leader. In the world, nine times out of ten, it's the salary that appeals to people, isn't it? You can deal with the headaches of responsibility because the money is the reward. In firms that do not pay their managers well, the turnover of staff in those positions are high. Because, let's face it, no one will work for more hours and be responsible for more people if they aren't getting the due reward. In the church, money should not be the reason for someone becoming an elder or, I mean, most particular in, in this instance, a pastor. Shouldn't be. It is in health and wealth and prosperity uh, churches. Um, I don't know whether you have thought that one through, but the reality is if you are in a health, wealth and prosperity church and you are saying that Jesus will give you health, wealth and prosperity, if the pastor isn't the wealthiest and the most, uh, you know, um, living the celebrity lifestyle in the church, then, then really it shows that there's a problem with your theology. Well, there is a massive problem with their theology anyway, but that's a, that's a whole other issue. But they have to do it because otherwise it makes a nonsense of what they say they believe. Yet that should not be true for God's uh, shepherds in the, in the church. That, however, I need to hastily add, is not an excuse for churches to underpay their pastors or their lead elder. It used to be that conservative evangelical churches uh, paid their pastors poorly to keep them humble. That shouldn't be the case. A labourer is worthy of his wages. Uh, the Bible says. So they should have a good motive. It shouldn't be about the money, therefore, but they should be supported. But an elder's motivation is Christ. It must be. Their focus and their drive should come from a desire to please him. Verse 4 underlines this by telling us that the goal is not wealth, but rather Christ and his glory. So an elder should be somebody who is constantly taking you to Christ. Constantly pointing you to the one who is worthy of our praise. And our rewards are not the accolades of others, nor the size of our ministries, nor the numbers of people that are saved. Because all of those are the gifts of God and we have no control over them at all. 
They are his glory who he gives to whom he chooses. And we are called to be vessels through which his glory shines. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Do you know, anything that we accomplish as God's people or as a church is entirely his gift. Sometimes we convince ourselves that it's the good things that we are doing. But pride comes before a fall, doesn't it? Or before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's all from Christ. And we ought to remember that. Our rewards are the privileges, the crowns that Christ will bring at his return. So if you're serving today for any other reason than for the glory of Christ, you need to work on that motive. You need to surrender before him and allow him to lift you up. Uh, verse, uh, and the fifth thing that uh, a leader should have is uh, they should be as a pattern. In any position of power, it's too easy to become dictatorial, subversive or manipulative. It's my way or the highway. Uh, John Stevens, who is the director of the FIC um, Church Network, he, he, he wrote this. Uh, he was writing um, in response to a pastor that had uh, uh, sadly fallen away. Uh, and he, he wrote this. I, he may have quoted some of this from somewhere else, but these were his words as, as I understand them. He wrote about this man, and I won't tell you who he is because that doesn't really help. He was evidently a charismatic bully who exercised an autocratic rule over the church. Like many abusers, he was highly adept at living a double life, which made all the more made, was made all the more difficult for many to spot the pattern of his abusive behaviour. He ensured that he avoided any real accountability to others. The quality of his teaching ministry and the status that he enjoyed in the wider conservative evangelical culture meant that many were too quick to overlook what seemed to be his eccentricities or foibles and to fail to call him out for his uh, character and leadership flaws. A leader's character is all important. You're looking for a pastor. You're looking for one whose character is such that they follow the Lord Jesus Christ. That they do what Christ does. That they love like Christ loves. That they lead like Christ leads. A leader is to be one who is a pattern for others. The word translated example here means the mark left by a blow. So it's an indent. And from an indent, of course, you can put in plaster of Paris and you can get yourself a cast. And the idea is that a leader's life should be such that if you were to pattern it, then it would be multiplied across the church and you would look like him. Well, obviously, he should look like Christ. So if he doesn't look like Christ then please don't follow him in that sense. It's an imprint or a stamp. So you should be able to look at your leaders and see that they are those who are consistently following Christ, who live in a way that they mean, means that they live and speak the gospel. 
Now, you can have men who are great orators, but their lives don't back up what they say. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So again, we come back to Jesus and we say, right, okay, I'm going to follow my leader as far as he follows the Lord Jesus Christ. If he deviates from that, then we deviate from him. Now in the context, Paul was saying that the Corinthian believers should make sure that their conduct did not get in the way of unbelievers coming to Christ by being unloving. Do you know one of the biggest witnesses that we have of God's people is the fact that we love one another? So as you look around this room, and we're made up of all sorts of different characters and different people, and I'm not suggesting that you look at the one that you find the most difficult to love this evening, but the reality is we require supernatural power. That's the work of Christ in us to love one another, don't we? Mm -hmm. And as the watching world sees that, it says, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I'm missing. That's what I need. Tell me, how do you love people? that are so different from you, that are so, well, maybe awkward. How do we do it? So we have seen then the privilege and the challenge of leadership in verses 1 to 4. But I want us to see the pattern of advance in the Christian's life, which comes in verses 5 and 6. Uh, with leadership, there must be people to lead, or you're a loner or, or a maverick. And now the younger that is written here, you need to understand, has the idea of new or fresh rather than young in age. Okay, so I'm not directly speaking to all you young folk up there, although you do need to take this on board. The idea is that there are those who are less mature in their faith, if I can put it like that, who are to submit to those who are in the privileged position of leadership in the church. Now, there is a saying, isn't there, that youth is wasted on the young. I don't know whether you've ever heard that saying. Yeah. And what do we mean by that? Well, the idea is that if we had the wisdom of years that we possess when we are older, mixed with the energy of youth, then we could accomplish an awful lot more things, couldn't we? You know, so youth is wasted on the young. So you're young and energetic and you're making all sorts of impulsive decisions, um, and as we did when we were younger. And as we get older, we look back and we think, well, if we just had your energy and a little bit of the wisdom that we've grown up to understand, we could do much better. We could accomplish so more, so much more. When we're young, we run around thinking that we know everything, wasting energy and getting nowhere because we won't be told very often. That's a huge generalization, so please don't let me think that I'm having a go. And sadly, we have to say, though, in the Christian life, the length of time a person has been a Christian, a believer in Christ, it does not necessarily equate to maturity. There are Christians who have been on the road with Jesus for 60 years or more, but have spent nearly 59 of those years in the road. They have been bogged down by all sorts of things and they have not been trusting Christ along the way. Uh, when I first went to the church that I'm pastor of now, there were Christians who had been there a long time. And they had lost sight of the gospel. They'd lost sight 
of what it was that God does. And it was interesting over the, over the time that I was there to see them begin to understand how they should open their Bibles and expect to see Christ. Because you know we get stuck in our ways. We do church every week. We do the weekly Bible study or whatever it might be. But the reality is at home we barely open the Bible. Or, or if we do, we do it because we've always done it. And we anticipate that we should always do it, which is a good thing, but we don't always see Christ. And so we stagnate and we don't move. So just it doesn't matter. You might be an 80-year-old in the congregation this evening and you might say to yourself, well, I've been on the road for a long, long time. But it may be that you need to submit to those who are younger than you who actually are delighted in Christ and can lead you in better paths. So it's not necessarily about age. But the problem comes, of course, in a church when we consider that everyone has an opinion, don't they? You notice that? We've all got an opinion of how we think things should go. Uh, we are living in what was, is fast becoming an anti-authoritarian society, isn't it? Maybe you've not detected that, but the more we look around us, there is uh, more and more of a cry that everyone has the right to be heard, and in a sense they do. But then there comes the flip side to that. Who are you to say that I am wrong? Just because you're in government, just because you are a head teacher, just because you're a policeman or a judge, who are you to tell me that I've got it wrong? Now, don't get me wrong, there needs to be checks and balances. I'm not suggesting that there should be an authoritarian state. But there is a reality in which we are constantly questioning those who lead us. And that, sad, that attitude sadly creeps into the church, and it's the pride issue. It's the issue of not being willing to submit. Uh, submission is not an issue of equality. We need to be careful. We all stand equal in God's sight. Every one of us is treated the same in terms of access to God. So if Jesus died for us, if we have accepted him as our Lord and Saviour, every one of us can speak directly to God. That's the point of Galatians 3 and verse 28. Therefore, uh, sorry, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, there is neither male and female, for all, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we all are equal in God's sight in that sense. But there are, however, differences in role and in responsibilities and in position. The world and the flesh and the devil say, assert yourself. And if you want it, go for it. But you know, man-made success is an anathema to God. He is not interested in our pushing our way forward. If you want to know, give uh, two biblical examples of that, you remember in, uh, uh, in Moses' life, Miriam and, and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife. As far as they were concerned, he's not living up to uh, what we think he should be. He, he, he's, he's kind of gone off the rails, so therefore that gives us an excuse to have a go. And so they asked this question, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? 
Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard that. And he was not happy. A few verses later. The anger of the Lord burned against them and he left them. And when the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous and it became as white as snow. And Aaron turned towards her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, please, my Lord, I ask that you not to hold this against, against us, the sin that we have so foolishly committed. Obviously, it was Miriam that was in the driving seat. Uh, and this kind of rising up and trying to challenge Moses' leadership. And God dealt with it very quickly. You see, God teaches us to submit to one another. And he teaches us, actually, that that's our privilege. And when he raises up someone to lead, then we should be those that follow. And we also need to understand that he raises up whom he chooses. Uh, what we've read in our passage, verses 5 and 6, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he might lift you up in due time. Do you know how you advance in the Christian life? You get lower. You acknowledge, actually, I can't do anything without Christ. My plans and my way forward is subject to Christ. That verse again, Hebrews 13 and verse 17, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you God says I've raised them up you submit to them while it can be difficult to lead it can also be very difficult to follow can't it yeah and it can be a stressful thing if we do not see eye to eye with our elders and that stress can lead you into sin just as stress can lead leaders into sin so we've seen the privilege and the challenge of leadership and we have seen the pattern of advance in the Christian life and the last thing I want you to see is where we come back to this morning's verse the place for stress to be directed the context then of the verse that we looked at this morning and everything I said about that verse this morning in God's grace is true but the context that we look at that verse is whether you are a leader struggling to lead or a follower struggling to follow, there is only one place where that stress should be taken. And that's to Christ himself. It should be taken to the shepherd and the overseer of our soul. Peter in his letter earlier on says this, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he himself entrusted him to, uh, himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. 
For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The point of that verse is that whether we're struggling to follow or struggling to lead, instead of going around causing trouble, we come to Christ. And we bow down before him and we say, Lord, what would you have us do? But all too often we don't do that, do we? All too often we say, it's my way or it's the highway. So a very long-winded say say, way of saying this evening, are you going to follow Christ or are you going to follow your own way? I can tell you which will end up in a better place and that's following Christ. So just as Jesus in the midst of the stress and the pain and the heartache of bearing our sin trusted his Father so we too are to trust Christ and to trust his Father <coughs> because he has demonstrated in his work on the cross that to submit to God is the best way. To submit all our wishes and all our desires to him is actually the only way. Offload all of these things to him. I don't know whether you're struggling or not. You might be a wonderful fellowship and there's no issues in your midst. I pray that that is true. But there might be some of you who are struggling. I want the church to go this way. Or, or you might be leading the church and you're saying, well, I wish they'd jolly well follow. But take it to Christ. Ask him to work. Because it's the only way that anything will ever change for good. Offload all these things to him, knowing that he has in mind the best plans for our lives. Offload all of these things to him, knowing that no one can thwart his plans. Offload all these things to him, knowing that no one cares for you like Christ cares for you. Offload all of these things, knowing that no one quietens your soul like Christ. No one can make you content like Christ. The reason that we have anxiety, the reason that we have cares and worries, is often because we will not submit to God. That's why these verses are linked. If I had simply preached to you this morning, this morning's message, and not qualified it with the fact that you must submit to God, then you would have gone away and you'd have carried on doing exactly what you wanted to do, and then you would have wondered why it was that you were still anxious. Because our anxieties only go as we submit to Christ. His rule, his authority, his plan for my life. Submission to God always comes before casting our anxieties on him. If it doesn't, we continue to live in that place of anxiety. And as again, I said to you this morning, the question is, do you believe it? And through this week, will you do it? It might be an area particularly that you know that is not in submission to God in your life at this moment. Bring it to him. Submit to him. And you will discover that the anxieties in that situation it doesn't mean the troubles will 
but the anxieties will because you're following him Jesus loves you he's made that abundantly plain by dying for you wouldn't you follow someone who is willing to die for you let's pray shall we loving heavenly father as we think about these things we recognize that all too often we aren't walking in the ways that we should and so we come and we confess our sin to you we confess that we are stubborn we are willful and we simply want to do it our own way father forgive us and point us again to the lord jesus christ and enable us to submit to him we ask in jesus name amen we're going to sing our closing song and it is that wonderful truth Sometimes when I preach sermons, I think afterwards, well, I laid that on a bit thick. It's a wonderful thing that Christ carries us. And you might have thought this evening, well, you know, that's heavy. I hope you didn't, but you may have thought that. Well, this next song hopefully will set that balance. When I fear my faith will fail, he will hold me fast. Let's sing, shall we?